Heavenly Father, we do thank you for uh, Tano. We thank you, Father, for uh, his desire, Lord, to know you and to follow after you. And we thank you, Father, that you have given him your word this morning to share with us. Lord, we pray, Lord, that he might be able to do all that you desire uh, for him to say this morning. Father, that we might have ears that hear, and Lord, that we might understand what it is that you want to say to us through him. So, Father, we pray, Lord, that you'll bless him and encourage him as he takes on this responsibility in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Alan. Good morning, everyone. Um, I have to say, I walked in uh, this morning, and, and I saw this, and I saw this, I knew this was for Drew, and then I looked at this one, and I thought, <laughs> hold on a second, is that, is that for me? <laughs> Hopefully not. I won't try and take offense. Uh, but it's great to be here, great to uh, have the, the honor and privilege of sharing God's word. Um, uh, I want to look at a Sunday school classic today. Uh, so I want to look at Moses on Mount Sinai. Uh, where's Benjamin and Joshua? Just Benjamin's in the room. <laughs> uh, you, you guys might remember this from, from MLG, because uh, I shared this at Trail Break trailblazers, uh, uh, MLG, and it's something that God really spoke to me uh, down at MLG, our conference in, in Devon, um, and I want to share it with you guys. Uh, like I said, I'm sharing a story that hopefully we all know. Do we know what happened on Mount Sinai? Uh, Moses, Ten Commandments, yes, very good. Uh, so it's a story that we all know, uh, but hopefully I want to look at it with some fresh eyes. And um, Let's go to our text. Let's start with our text first. Uh, it's in Exodus uh, chapter 19. And then hopefully what I'll try and do is to paint a picture and put these uh, verses into a context. So in, in uh, Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 and 6, uh, we read, I'm reading from the message. It might be a different translation up there, but... We read that as Moses went up to meet God, God called, God called down to him from the mountain. Speak to the house of Jacob. Tell the people of Israel, you have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to me. If you will listen obediently to what I say and keep my covenant, out of all peoples, you will be my special treasure. The whole earth is mine to choose from, but you're special a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. So we're at a point in the story where the people of Israel uh, have come out of Egypt. They've been traveling for three months, and they come up to this mountain. And this is a picture of Mount Sinai. Uh, and <laughs> Nope. If you can click for me and spin around. Great, Mount Sinai. Aim there. Okay. All right. Thanks, Tim. I'll do it from behind my back. So, um, Mount Sinai. Yeah, go on then, smooth. Uh, the mountain of God. Uh, and the Hebrew word for uh, Mount Sinai is Horeb. Okay. Uh, so, 
We, we have this mountain. Like I said, the, the, the people of Israel have been traveling. Uh, they've been rescued out of Egypt. They've been traveling for three months. Uh, they, uh, 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 they finally come to this place. They know that God has called them out of Egypt. I mean, they've seen God work some incredible miracles. He's part of the Red Seas. He saved them from slavery. He saved them from this uh, army, the, the Egyptians that were chasing after them. They've seen God provide for them in the desert. Uh, but we know that the people of Israel have a tendency to complain and to get grumpy, like, oh, I wish we were living back in Egypt, or at least we had food, we, our, our bellies were full with food. You see, the problem with the people of, uh, of Israel is that they were used to live as slaves. Uh, they did not know how to live like a free people. They did not know what to do with their freedom. And so God brings them to this place, and he, and he gives them the Ten Commandments. In a way, he gives them a, a, a sort of a guideline, a blueprint on how to live life as free people. He gives them this, this, this law that, that really reveals God's character and God's heart and his nature. But it also highlights people's humanity's uh, um, inadequacy at living up to God's standard. And this is what we find in the Old Testament. is God revealing himself to the people of Israel, to, to, to humanity, and humanity failing to live up to God's standard. And then when, when we come to Jesus in the New Testament, is God saying, I can see that, you, that you're trying to get to me, but you can't get to me, so I will come down to you. I will give my son Jesus to die on the cross so that it's not about following rules, it's not about following the law, it's not about religion, but it's life within you. I will bring, I will come and live in you because of what I, I did on the cross. So this is putting the story into context of God's great story, of, of, uh, of his love story for us, for me and you. So what I want to, to call our uh, talk today is Tackle Your Horeb before things go horribly wrong. <laughs> I really wanted to do that. I really wanted to do that. So, we're here, we're facing Horeb, and, and the main character in this story, of this passage that we just read, is Moses. Um, and apart from getting the, the Ten Commandments on Mount Horeb, Moses got a, a little bit of a, um, a face, a makeover. Uh, if you didn't know. In fact, I have pictures uh, of the actual pictures of uh, uh, Moses back in those days. And this is uh, Moses before meeting God. Uh, as you can see, a well-groomed man, quite rugged, quite tough, quite manly. Uh, he's got a nice tan as well. Uh, and this is Moses after meeting God. What is going on? I, I don't know about young people today, but uh, I know that for most of us, when we think about the story of Moses, uh, we, we can't help but think of the movie, uh, The Ten Commandments. And we have this, this image of Moses going up to, to the mountain. And every time he comes back, he, is, uh, he, you know, every time he goes up to the mountain and encounters God and he comes back, he looks a little bit more like Santa Claus. And, and he ends up looking like this. Um, and and if, if you're new to, uh, to, to church, if you're new to faith, if you're new to Christianity, uh, you know, there's this, uh, there's this idea that uh, when you're a Christian, uh, you're, 
you're a little bit aloof, you're weird, uh, you're uh, a bit odd, uh, and, and you're boring. Uh, and I, I, I think we're weird before we become Christians. Uh, I'm, you know, if anything, God improves uh, and, and makes us a bit less weird. Uh, we're not weird because, uh, we, because we're Christians. We're not boring because we're Christians. And I really sometimes, even in my own life, after be, being a Christian for many years, I can believe the lie that I'm missing out on something. There's something better out there. But if you think that, if you ever think that being a Christian is boring, uh, like the, the testimonies that we heard today, you know, Tracy saying it's an adventure. And what Rose was sharing, being a Christian, it's not about being weird and aloof and boring. It's God has created us for life. Like Jim was saying, there's, there's something after repentance. There's a life, and there's an abundant life in the spirit. And uh, I remember uh, going to a, a Buddhist center a few years ago. And this was with work. Uh, and it was beautiful. It's an incredibly beautiful place. I mean, you, you come in, and it's just, uh, everything is just so relaxing. And it's uh, the details of the gardens, the, the, the cafe, the food is absolutely beautiful. But this guy at reception, he had an impressive beard. I mean, not like that, but incredibly. I was impressed with the beard. Um, and, and I came in, and he, and he was like, hello. Welcome to the Buddhist center. How can I help you? And, and it made me feel really uh, awkward in a way. I was like, you're creeping me out, man. Uh, but there's this, there's this thing that we can put on, this fake uh, uh, happiness, this fake uh, religious joy that we can put on. And that is not what God has for us. God has created us for real joy. John Piper has done this uh, series of studies that you can find uh, on um, a Bible app if you have you version. Uh, it's called The Quest for Joy. And John Piper says, did you know that God commands us to be glad? That is his commandment. Uh, that, that is what he's got for us. And in Psalm 37, we read, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The Apostle Paul says, rejoice. And again, I, said, I say rejoice. And um, we, a couple of weeks ago, um, we started meeting on a Tuesday afternoon. Becky and I, Mike and Halia are in there, and we meet, we invite the parents of super kids. Um, and uh, we've had one parent come so far, but it's been good. We had some good, good discussion, haven't we? Uh, and last week, we, we were talking about what makes you really happy. Uh, and we were reflecting that nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I just, my aim today is just to be really sad. That's what I want out of life. I just want to be sad. There's something in us that just wants to be happy, that wants joy. And I really want, I really believe, as, as I was preparing for this, I really believe that God wants to restore joy to some of us. Uh, definitely for me, that is what God has said to me. My favorite verse in the Bible is, create in me a pure heart, God, and restore the joy of your salvation. And it seems like I have to remind myself what a great joy it is to be saved and to belong to God. So I just want to set the scene. I want to start with that. God has created us for joy, not to be boring, not to be weird like that picture. Uh, you might be into that kind of look, but... Uh, God has created us for joy. So here we have Moses and the people of Israel. 
They're at the foot of the uh, set camp at the foot of Mount Horeb. Now, Horeb in Hebrew uh, has quite some interesting meanings. Now, please know that I have no idea what I'm looking at, uh, and I have no idea. Uh, I'm not a scholar of Hebrew, uh, but I have uh, read and I've researched, and uh, what scholars uh, see in the word Horeb in Hebrew is they recognize the root of two verbs. One of these is to dry, and from that we get the meaning that it's a dry land, that it's a wasteland. Uh, and sometimes when we think about mountains, we think about trees and, you know, chalet and the Swiss Alps and rivers and snow, and it's beautiful. But this was a really harsh environment, like we saw in the first picture. This is a real dry land, a wasteland. Um, I grew up in Sicily, uh, which is a volcanic, uh, volcanic island, so we have the most active volcano in Europe. Uh, and growing up in Sicily, you really grow with, with a sense of respect an awe, uh, almost a fear of the, of the mountain. Uh, you know, you, you always look up to the mountain and you see if it's smoking. If it's smoking, it means it's releasing pressure, which is a good thing because you don't want a volcano to build up pressure. Uh, you look at the, the position of the, of the clouds. Are they up in the mountain? Okay, so that means that the weather is going to be a, this certain uh, type of weather. Sometimes the mountain grumbles. Sometimes it, it spits out ashes and, and you wake up in the morning and your balcony is covered in, in black ashes. The cars, the streets. So you have this relationship uh, with the mountain. It's a real sense of awe and respect. And you do know that if you do go up and climb Mount Etna, uh, you take it seriously. You don't mess with, with Mount Etna. Uh, you go with a guide. You need to know what you're doing. You wear appropriate clothing, uh, unless you're this family. Uh, see if you recognize them. I don't know if I can uh, press play on this. Go for it, I'll give you access. No? That's fine, I'll show you later on my phone. But basically, Constantine and Lena climbed up Mount Etna in their Crocs and flip-flops. Uh, and you, uh, there's a video of, of, of Lena climbing with, uh, with her kids and Robert strapped to her back. Uh, and you can hear the wind blowing, and you can see that around them it's utter desolation. What altitude did you go up to? can't remember, but it, it was high, uh, and it was cold. Um, but I, I really believe that you, you must hold the record uh, for a family climbing in Crocs and flip-flops, so that's, that's, that's amazing. Um, but Lena just completed a wolf run yesterday, so this, that's amazing, well done. Um, but you do not mess with the mountain. You know that it's a harsh environment. It's a, it's a dry wasteland. Uh, and I wonder if the people of Israel came to this mountain and, and were wondering, God, you led us here. We know that we're in the place where you've, you've led us to. You've rescued us from Egypt and you've led us to this place, but we don't understand. It feels so dry, so empty, so there's no life. Uh, what is going on? Uh, and I wonder if I can definitely relate to that. And I wonder if you can relate to that. That sometimes you feel that that God has led you to a place, and yet something that was so sweet, the, the sweetness of salvation or, or following God's uh, plans, and yet it feels so 
dry. Uh, and you look around, it's like, God, why this, this wasteland? And maybe it's not to do with your, it might be that, that your circumstances are difficult. It might be that you're in some really tough situations. Sometimes it's just a feeling. It's just a feeling, but feelings are so strong and you can't shake it off. I just feel so dry, God. I just feel so empty. And I know that I'm where I'm supposed to be, but I just feel like, man, this is a wasteland. And it's right in that place uh, of dry land, of wasteland, of wilderness that God speaks to Moses and that God speaks to us. The other meaning of the, of the root word Horeb is ruins after a siege. And what that implies is that the battle is, is done, the, uh, the war is over, and now it's time to rebuild. And sometimes we look at ourselves and we look uh, at our own lives and we might think, man, I feel like this, I'm just left in ruins because of whatever has happened, because of our past, because of what's been done to us, or because of the uh, circumstances that, that we're going through. I just feel left in ruins. But what God sees, it's an opportunity to rebuild. And it's in Isaiah 43, verse 19, that, that we read, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And we see this over and over in the Bible where God brings people into the wilderness where they're com completely out of the comfort zone and they have to cry out to God. And that, it's in that place that God speaks to us. And it's in that place that God speaks to Moses. And I really believe that God had a special message for Moses individually. Uh, we often think of Moses and his role as the leader of, of the people of Israel. Um, and, and, and God did give Moses a message to bring down to the people of Israel. And the thing is that Moses had to go up and down the mountain eight times. And every time he goes up the mountain and he's in God's presence and he hears God speak. And it's fantastic and it's wonderful. And then he goes down uh, to, to the valley where the people are camped and it's absolute mayhem. The people just not getting it. And they're building idols. They, they build a golden calf while he was up there, uh, you know, uh, receiving the, the Ten Commandments from God. And it's like, what is going on, God? You know, why is this, uh, why is this happening? You're giving me this, this message. And it's, it seems like all my efforts uh, and my energy are going to waste and, and, you know, falling on deaf ears. And I wonder if, if sometimes we feel like that in ministry, in serving God, whether we have a role uh, um, a responsibility in, in church life, or whether it's just uh, sharing with our friends, with our families, we feel that God is giving us something that we want to share, and it feels that it's, it's just frustrating, and we're just coming up against um, difficulties. But God, first and foremost, I believe that has a message for us. And I really believe that God wanted to speak to Moses first. And I don't think it's a coincidence that God calls Moses his friend. We learn in the Bible that Moses was a friend of God. He learned to love being in God's presence, oh, to be called a friend of God. In fact, Moses would say to God, Lord, if you are not going with us, I am not moving. Or to have that special relationship with God, what a wonderful thing. And as God, as Moses went up to uh, he climbed his Horeb, climbed, climbed up the mountain. 
we read that God would come down and his presence would come as a thick cloud. And I think that's quite interesting that God's presence is described as a thick cloud because cloud usually are quite negative. If you see a cloud, you think it's bad weather, rain's coming. But God's presence come in as a thick cloud. And I think what that means is when, when you're inside a cloud, you know, if you've ever uh, been on a plane and, and you're flying through clouds uh, just before you get above the clouds, uh, you can't see anything. You can't see anything else. And I wonder if God comes to Moses in a thick cloud because he wants his full attention. I mean, in, in the fog, in, in a cloud, you must be only able to see what's right in front of you. And I wonder if God is saying, you need to, to shut everything off. Your role, your responsibility, your task, your position, your title, what's going on down in the valley, the mayhem, the people of Israel, the, the, their expectations that they've placed in you, the expectations that you've placed on yourselves, your insecurities. Moses was insecure. He had a stutter. He didn't think that he could do what God was calling him to do. But I wonder if in that cloud, in the thickness of that cloud, God say, I've got your full attention. Everything else doesn't matter. The other day, my Sophia, my seven-year-old, uh, was taking them to school, Gloria and Sophia, uh, and, uh, and knew Sophia was feeling quite anxious uh, about uh, going into class. Uh, something about not being able to finish her work and not feeling that she was doing the right thing. So as a, we, we, we walked into the school uh, courtyard and I just really sort of bent down to her level and I looked her in the eyes and I said, Sophia, you know Aslan, which I wanted to, to speak a language that she would understand. You know Aslan in Narnia, you know that he's a picture of Jesus. He's inside of you. And there was children playing around and, and you know, there was the, the teachers and, and the bell ringing. There was loads of distractions, but I made sure that I was looking right into her eyes. Sophia, Jesus is inside of you, the Lion of Judah. Let him roar, be brave, go for it. Just go and stand up to your teacher and ask or say what you need to say. You've got it. I had a full attention. I made sure that I had a full attention. And I wonder if God does that with us sometimes. You know, shut your phone, turn off Netflix. Don't worry what people are saying about you. Don't worry what people expect of you, your positions, your titles, your, uh, your, your insecurities, your doubts, your questions. I want your full attention. I've got something that I want to say to you right here in this place of wilderness where we can experience God's presence. So what does God say to Moses? He's got his full attention. What does he say? And we read the passage, and the first thing that he says is, I've carried you on wings like eagles. It doesn't say, I've carried you on wings like chickens. That picture just doesn't quite do it. I've carried you on wings like turkeys, Moses. God has not created us to flap around. He has created us to soar like eagles. He's saying, you've got this, Moses. I've carried you on wings like eagles. I've, I've created you to soar high and above. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it's done. It's finished. I've won. I've got victory. And you've got w victory with me. 
I've won over your sin. I've won over your addictions. I've won over your anxieties and your insecurities. I've won over your, your worries. I've won over your anger, over your unforgiveness. I've won over your uh, possibly need to always be right. I've won over your, your family disputes. I've won over the things that have been said to you or about you or have done to you. I've won. It's done. It's finished. Don't flap around. I'm carrying you on wings like eagles. Uh, at MLG, we heard we had this incredible encouragement from Chris Spicer to, to, uh, to live and live out and do church and do mission out of a place of victory and not of fear. Oh, the world is ending. It's horrible. Jesus, please come back. That is not what God has intended for us. That is not the church that intends us to be. He wants us to be a church, a people of victory, to soar on wings like eagles. And I know that sometimes it's difficult because we look at the circumstances, we look at ourselves, and we flap around. I know I do. I flap around like a chicken or a turkey. But God has created me to soar on wings like eagles. And we find this beautiful promise in Isaiah 40. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on the wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Like John was encouraging us last week, not to be sluggish, to come out of our cave and to walk and to go for it. And here's another picture to walk and run and fly on soaring wings like eagles. So the first thing that God says to Moses, you're a champion, you're a winner. In Christ, you've got the victory. The second thing that he says is simple, yet it changes our lives. God says, I love you, Moses. He says, you are my special treasure. In other translations, it says, you are my treasured possession. Now, what's really interesting is that we find this very exact scripture in the New Testament in the book, in the letter of Peter, 1 Peter. And here in the Old Testament, God is saying, if you obey my commandments, you will be my treasured possession. You will be a, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In the New Testament, we find that the premise is very different. It's Jesus. Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is where we start from. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, you are my treasured possession. You are my treasure, and I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you. That has been the message of God throughout the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament. In Psalm 139, we read that God says, I formed you, I created, I knew you before you were born, and I formed you in your mother's womb. In Isaiah, again, God says that he has our names engraved in the palm of his hands. God says, you are never, you're always on my mind. You're never out of my sight. I'm always see you right there in the palm of my hands. I formed you in your mother's womb. You're not a mistake. I have created you. In Jeremiah, God says that he has plans for us, good plans. He has a purpose. I've set a purpose for you. In the Gospel of John, he says that he loved us so much that he gave us Jesus on the cross to die for our sins, that we may know him and know, have eternal life. In the book of Romans, again, he repeats that there's nothing on earth, no height, no depth, no power, 
no principalities on heaven and earth that can pluck us from his hands, that can separate us from the love of God. I love you, I love you, I love you. God says it over and over and over. And how many times do we need to hear it so that we can understand it? Why is there something in our hearts that just wants to reject that? And God wants to break through and wants you to know that he loves you. And sometimes I look at God and say, of course you love me. You're God. You have to love me. You're perfect. And I felt God saying, no, I, you are lovable to me. You are worthy of my love. When I look at you through Jesus, through what Jesus has done on the cross, I love my son and I love you. And to me, you are treasure. You are my treasured possession. To know the love of God, to really know what it means to be God's treasure, what that does to our identity. When you walk around, I'm treasure. I am treasure. You are treasure. You are his treasured possession. The second thing, the third thing, sorry, that God says to Moses, he says, you're a winner. You got victory. I've created you to soar like on wings like eagles. I love you. You are my treasure. Third thing, he says, you're a kingdom of priests. And when we think about priests, we think about the, the, the clothes and the incense and then the whole uh, church thing, the altar. But don't think about that. Think about what it means to be a priest in the Old Testament, to, to have access, full access to God's presence. We have full access to God's presence. When we close our eyes and we say, Jesus, we're right there in the throne room. In the midst of the wilderness, we can be right there in the presence of God. We are a kingdom of priests. John last week talked about this rope tied to a waist that connects us all the way to the throne room through the curtain that's been torn in two, that's made, Jesus made that access for us to be in the presence of God. We, we have that. In Revelation, we read this incredible description of God's throne. And the, and the author is so lost for words that he uses all these precious stones. It's gold, emerald, green, purple. I'm colorblind, so it makes no sense to me. But I think it's just, it must be amazing beyond what our words can describe. And, and at this throne room, there's angels. There's angels and there's creatures and the elders, and they're all singing, and they're all bowing down. They're throwing down their crowns. This incredible picture of majesty. Uh, and what we read is, is, is the author trying to describe what, what, what he saw, but we, we can't even imagine what it must be like to be in God's presence. And right in the midst of the angels singing and, and glorifying God, the, the writer says that our prayers are right there before God, in, in like a bowl of, of incense. Right now, when you cry out to God, when you pray, when you whisper his name even, your prayer is right there before the, th the throne of God, the almighty God, the, the all-knowing, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of the end. We are priests to have access to the full presence of the almighty God. What a wonderful promise. As priests, we also bridge the gap. 
we bridge the gap and we stand in between God and those that don't know him yet. And a few weeks ago, possibly a couple of months ago, I was up on the roof uh, to put stuff on the window to, to make it dark so we can watch films here in the cafe. Um, and I was out late in the evening, uh, and it was a beautiful evening, uh, and I really felt like climbing on top of the flat roof, just on top of our flats. Uh, I'm not sure if that's loud, trustees. <laughs> Um, but I re- and you know when, when you think, I'm just going to have a Jesus moment, you know, I can just totally see that this is going to be a God moment. Uh, and I was standing right there on, on the roof. The sun had just gone down. There was beautiful colors. Uh, the stars were coming out. And I was feeling like, oh, that's it. I'm just going to worship. And this whiff of weeds coming from the back of the kids smoking cannabis at the back. This whiff of weed just brought me back to reality. But I felt like God saying, this is where I am. And you, this is the, my presence in, right here in the midst of this estate, in the midst of drugs and brokenness and a lost world. That I am right here and you are right here with me. You are a priest bridging the gap, interceding, praying for the lost. Whenever you walk around, and, and you see, I don't know, maybe you see some people uh, fighting. I used to take the one to two to work and, and from where we used to live. And in the morning, the betting shop was open and there was people inside. And my heart would go, ah, oh, Lord. And you come down, you know, sometimes I take the 161 all the way to, towards Bromley. And the pub on the corner would be open at 9 o'clock in the morning. There's people drinking Guinness at 9 o'clock in the morning. And my heart would go, whoa. If you feel that, if you ever feel that, whenever you're walking around, there is, there is a God-given burden. There is the priesthood in you going, oh, Lord, there's a broken world that needs to know you. You're a kingdom of priests bridging the gap between the lost and a father who wants to bring people to himself. And the last thing that he says is, you are a holy nation. We know that the word holy means set apart, set apart for something greater. And Moses said, no way, Lord, no way I can do it. I have a stutter. I can't do this. I've, I've committed murder uh, when I was in Egypt. No, surely not me, God. And we say that, no, God, not me. I'm not tall enough, good looking enough, clever enough, smart enough, rich enough. I'm not... Uh, creative enough, uh, I'm not artistic enough, uh, no, surely not me, God, you can choose me, and God says, yes, you, he chose Moses with all of his weaknesses, and he chooses us just as we are, with all our weaknesses, in Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verse 10, we read, for we are his workmanship, There are some translations that say, for we are his masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. He's still at work. He's not finished. He's not done yet. He's still working in me. He's still working in you. He's still painting, and he's still carving, and he's still chiseling, and he's still modeling and shaping. He's still an artist at work. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God is working in you 
for his plans. He's got good plans. He's got good works prepared for you to walk into. So what's your Horeb? What's your mountain to climb today? What's your wilderness? What is your ruins that you're looking at? Have you maybe come to a dry wasteland? Or maybe like the people of Israel, you've decided, you know what, I'm just going to stay down here and I'm just going to let someone else do the climbing for me. It's not for me. Someone else can go and, and speak to God. I'll just stay down here and wait. In fact, while I'm down here, I'm just going to build a golden calf. Because we are built to worship. We are created to worship. So if we're not climbing up and meeting with God, then we'll give our passions and our energy to something else, whether it's work or our finances, our relationships, our interests, our hobbies. We'll give our love and our worship to something else. But God is saying, climb, climb up the mountain. I know that it's hard, like Rose was saying, it's hard. It's hard sometimes, but I'm here. I'm right here in the dry wasteland. God says to you, I carry you on wings like eagles. You've got the victory in Christ. You are victorious in Christ. You are my treasured possession. I love you. And I will never stop saying that to you. I love you. You are a kingdom of priests. You have full access to my presence. And I've put you on this earth for good works. I've got good plans. I've set you apart for something greater. I've set you apart for a great purpose. What's your Horeb today? What is your mountain to climb? Should we close our eyes and stand up? And I'll invite the worship team to come up and lead us and, and to worship as, as we respond. Father, we thank you that your love is relentless. You never give up. Thank you that even today you're saying, I love you and I want a relationship with you. And you're inviting us on this journey. Lord, may we find you in a wilderness. May we find you in a dry wasteland. Lord, may we be able to shut everything off and give you our full attention, give you our complete entire self to you, Lord. Lord, if there's any of us here today that are just stuck, stuck in a rut, and feeling like we've given up on the climb, we don't see the points anymore, Lord, would you come and minister to us? Will you come and meet us right where we are? Will you speak to us tenderly like you did to Moses? We need to hear from you, Lord. We need to hear your word. We need to feel your touch. In Jesus' name we pray.